Before we kick into this week's episode of the World Awaits Travel Podcast, my co-host Kirsty Bedford and I wanted to mention the recent earthquake in Morocco, which has so far claimed more than 2,000 lives. I love Morocco, it's one of my favourite countries, and many travellers feel the same way. People are drawn to its delicious cuisine, its beautiful design and architecture, and the mesmerising landscapes of deserts, fishing villages and mountains. Our hearts go out to the people of Morocco, but we wanted to reiterate what many travel companies are saying to us. Please don't cancel your plans to visit this wonderful country. The earthquake has devastated communities in the high atlas above Marrakesh. However, the rest of Morocco is deemed safe, and the best way you can help is to continue to spend your tourism dollars on local Moroccan experiences and services. If you want to help but you aren't jumping on a flight to North Africa, you could consider donating via Tour Company Intrepid Travel, which has launched an emergency appeal and has committed to matching your donation, dollar for dollar, up to 100,000 Australian dollars. All funds will go to grassroots organisations to provide emergency relief and support, and Intrepid will not take a cent for administration, so 100% of your donations go directly to those in need. Morocco has always had a special place in my heart and also in the heart of Zina Benchik, who is the Managing Director of Intrepid Travels Operations in Europe, the Middle East and Africa. Zina, who I met and travelled with recently in Turkey, is Moroccan and sends a personal plea to our global community to support the people of Morocco when they need it most. To donate, please visit the intrepidfoundation.org and we'll include this address in our show notes and on our website at theworldawaits.au. And now, on to this week's episode. Welcome to The World Awaits. Travel tales to inspire your wanderlust. I'm Kirsty Bedford, journalist, editor and travel writer. And I'm Belinda Jackson, author, travel journalist and columnist, and we're your weekly co-hosts. Welcome back. How was your week, Belle? It was madness, Kirsty. I'm off to Egypt on the weekend. I'm jumping on an Etihad flight that requires me to cool my heels in Abu Dhabi for five hours at 5am. I know. I'm heading over to see family, but also to poke around the markets of Cairo, hopefully have a look past the foyer of the Grand Egyptian Museum because we've only been waiting a decade for it to open. Amazing. And then I'm back in Saudi Arabia because deserts and hopefully to get a glimpse at the mind-blowing Neom complex in northern Saudi. So I cannot wait to tell you what I see when I get back. But you're off too, aren't you, Kirsty? I am. (laughs) I'm flying to Copenhagen next week on assignment for Signature Media and I'll be cruising with MSC up to Norway and back through Germany to Denmark. Oh, heaven. Amazing. I can't wait. And because it's school holidays and we're both going to be away, we're taking a two-week break. So uh, you won't hear from us for a couple of weeks, um, but we'll be back on the 5th of October. (laughs) We promise. So this is the end of the first season of The World Awaits and I can hear you all crying out there in podcast (laughs) land. But while we're away, why not crank up any other episodes that you've missed? I would tune into the very first show to hear the very fabulous Australian-Italian author Maria Pasquale talk about life in Rome, gorgeous, or episode five, where fellow travel writer Ben Groundwater and I rave madly about how much we love Spain. And Kirsty, I also love your interview with Glenice Johnston, who's walked the Camino de Santiago an incredible 35 times. Yes, she's incredible, and that's a great one to listen to about how much it can transform you. Also, social entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author and founder of G Adventures, Bruce Poon Tip, chats on episode seven mm. about how you can genuinely make a change to communities when you travel 
travel and skip back one episode and have a listen to Fiji Tourism CEO Brent Hill. He took on that job and moved to Fiji during the pandemic. Yeah, that was a really great one. So um, speaking of all of this travel, I don't know about what you pack when you're going away, Kirsty, but I have to say this latest research by July Luggage in collaboration with Ground Truth Research has some pretty interesting findings on what people take on holiday. Mm, and what, what would they be, Val? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, gird your loins, people. Well, the research found that almost one in three of those aged in the 18 to 24 bracket will bring a sex toy, a vibrator, or oh, lubricant. <laughs> I can't believe Kirsty wrote this part of the script and made me say it. <laughs> Well, okay, well, well, things aren't quite as sexy for our demographics, so those aged 45 to 54 are most likely to pack crystals, and one in eight Aussies will actually take a jar of Vegemite. Oh, I can't believe, people, why crystals, okay, crystals, I can't say they're on my packing list, although I do confess, I used to throw a tube of Vegemite, not a jar, in the bag when my daughter was very young and needed a little taste of home when we were in very different locales, such as Sri Lanka, or I think I took Vegemite might to Norway once. <laughs> so maybe you better pack a few sachets for your trip, Kirsty. I think I'm good, thanks. Do you like Vegemite? I do like Vegemite. Oh, good on it's you. It's a Kiwi thing too, you yeah. know. <laughs> Shall we have that argument? I didn't know. Pavlova, Vegemite. I... No, Marmite actually. Marmite is a, is a very Ooh. Kiwi thing. <laughs> Um, but no, I don't think I will be taking either of those things um, or the sex toys. Um, and the report also found that for a three-day weekend away, Australians will on average pack five pairs of underwear. And as much as um, Belle cringes when I told her this, I actually do take lots of pairs of underwear when I travel. And it's because of exercise. So if you want to go for a run or something, you know, you want to make sure you've got enough pairs of underwear to change after exercising. <laughs> okay, look, I, I confess I am an underwear overpacker as well. But the report also looked into the personal sacrifices Australians are willing to make so they can embark on their dream vacation. So 77% said they would forego food delivery and eating out, and nearly 70% are prepared to cut down on date nights. I don't know, I don't do date nights, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nearly 70% are also prepared to give up alcohol, so that's not really us either, is it, (laughs) Belle? But then more than half would consider travelling out of season to take advantage of lower accommodation and flight costs and 40% will consider low-cost airlines and budget accommodation and that is totally me I'm like I'm so on board with this what about you um, yeah, I mean, of course, I think I would definitely consider low-cost airlines. Um, it just depends how long the travel is for. Mm, right, okay. And also it found only 10% will take an indirect flight to their chosen destination, showing that while Australians will embark on a no-frills holiday, inconvenience won't be a part of it. And I have to say, I do hate a layover. I've, we've got a, quite a big layover too in Bangkok when we go to Copenhagen, and I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't care how I get there. I just don't care. I'm okay with layovers. Like I've got that 5am in Abu Dhabi. Mm. I'll just, you know, wander around and eat duty-free dates for and drink <laughs> coffee, you know. But, you know, in that research by July luggage, it is the Vegemite that still gets me. However, I do confess I take it to Egypt every year on request. The first time I took it, its salty black goodness blew the minds of my Middle Eastern <laughs> family. And then I played them, you know, the song with a, you know, I come from a land of down under. <laughs> they were like, oh, living the dream, baby. You're listening to The World Awaits. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating and review on your favourite podcast platform. 
This week, my guest is the inimitable powerhouse that is Wendy Wu, the founder of Wendy Wu Tours. She tells us how she got started in her global company, which now takes tours to 44 countries around the world, and how she is returning to the country that started her business and also was the last to reopen after the pandemic, China. Wendy, welcome to The World Awaits. It's lovely to have you with us. Oh, thank you for having me, Belle. Mm-hmm. Now, um, as the you've got quite a fascinating history. You are now in your 25th year of running Wendy Wu Tours. Can you tell me how it started back in 1998? <laughs> wow, well, it was long ago. I was in Australia doing, um, yeah, planning a holiday for myself and uh, my partner at the time. Um, I want to showcase all the things best of China to him, of course. And then, just about two weeks before we were due to depart, um, he had the opportunity to either step up or go on this holiday and let this opportunity pass. And for me, as an ambitious young woman, <laughs> then I said, absolutely not. There's no, no, no choice about it. You must forget about holiday, but take the opportunity with your career. So I went to China myself, but because I already paid everything, and so therefore it is, uh, I can't get my money back. So therefore I tried to get someone else to, to pay for the, the losses. And so therefore I said, I put a small ad in the paper and said, uh, this is the itinerary. I'm going to be there for 28 days. And this is how much and uh, who wants to come and uh, you know so funny so many people called and they want to go and the rest is uh, history really the rest is history that is sensational so the first time i'm i'm really curious you've just um uh you're taking people back to china now after quite a long break what i want to know is what is the difference between the itinerary that you did the very first time and what you're going back to see in china now <laughs> uh, there's um, when I first started, I had one tour called China Highlights. It's eight ancient cities, twenty eight days, one itinerary, and literally we we filled first group, and they had such good time. The word of months to another group, and all year long, I just do the same itinerary. Eight ancient cities, 28 days. That's how we started. And now, before the COVID, we have about 390 departures with loads and loads of different programs. So there's a, yeah, that the China Highlights tour is still there. Unbelievable. Aside from that, yeah, the rest is so, 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 such a big thing. (laughs) Of course, I mean, China's, you know, I I guess, um, you know, the country has changed dramatically in in the last 25 years. And also we've changed too, how we travel as well. So um, who's going to China now in in, in these days? Now, because you've said that you've got unprecedented demand in 2024 and 25 for people wanting to go to China for the first time or to return to China. So who are those people that are booking China these days? Okay, so for example, right now we have a few groups in China and then before I came to uh, arrived back in Australia last week, I saw 
some groups and some um, tailor-made uh, customers, and they are just uh, normal Australian travelers, and they are in China and having a good time. They are like you, like all of our customers. The only difference, possibly, is that uh, two two aspect. One is that um, they they all grab a hold of me to tell me one thing and. Just to me, they say you got to do something, and and it's so wonderful. I get to do this with you. They said, you know, China is so beautiful, so 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 good, and、uh, they said before we came, we were little hesitate, but. We are so glad we come because you know. And I said yes. China is as beautiful as before. The terracotta wall is still there. Great wall is still there,、yeah. and、uh, everything's good. Except the people are even warmer because Chinese people are known as hospitality. But now they are even warmer because after three more and three years and more without seeing a foreign visitor, and they now just、uh, love the foreign visitors when they return. So that was the.、Uh, Last um two two、uh, last two weeks when I was there, and then also China actually only open is the last country to open in the world, only open um in March fifteenth this year, and、uh, then immediately our company management team went to China straight away to check it out for all of the customers. If it's safe, it's fun, it's going to be a wonderful experience, and our team. And there's a、uh, uh, one sales director have never been to China, and he cannot believe how wonderful it is. And he is just completely besotted, and now is like a broken record. China, China, so wonderful, <laughs> China, China. And I have to say, stop, stop talking about just China. We do so much more. <laughs> and you do. I mean, how many, how many destinations do you have now? Because you, it, it started off, you know, just as, as you say, as China specialist, but. You have really expanded. I mean, your new tours include. You're going to Turkey for Anzac Day. You've got Christmas tours around the world. You're going to Egypt and Jordan as well, and and of course Portugal, which is、um, the absolute flavour, I think, internationally at the moment. So, so how many destinations have you got? Ah, <laughs> to be exact, in fact, our customer counted for us. It's actually forty-four countries. We wow. Specialize in, so and you may ask how come? Yes, you are absolutely right, Belle. At the beginning, all I want to be is、uh, be the China specialist because that、uh, we we know it so well. I know China is hard to get to. It's my dream and my passion to make it easier and bring lots of customers to experience the culture and the history and the other wonders over there. That was the beginning, but then you know. SARS happened in two thousand three when China was completely closed off limit. We said, "Oh, so at that time the customer said, 'Oh, we can't go to China. Where can you take us? You, 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 you we don't want you to do this kind of. We just do、um, can't take us anywhere.' So at that time, with that encouragement, we actually start to do、um, Vietnam and Cambodia. We love it. We fall in love with them, with that destination, and then we brought our customer with us. That was in just." Really, we we start to flourish during the kind of、uh, SARS period. We started before, but really took over th- then. And also because of SARS, we started other Asian countries such as、uh, Korea and、uh, such as Japan. And Japan just 
really grow. And then this time, when COVID happened, it really blocked entire travel for three years, as you know, which is a terrible, worse situation, much ten times worse than SARS. And so during that time, we always kept contact with our wonderful customers. And Bell, you 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 may not know, but the, our customer do know, and then they really appreciate. We even still produce the brochure. In 2021, the world is completely closed, and we did so many online parties. Invite our customer <laughs>、really? to join. Yes, and then so, but the parties only virtual. And then eventually, when other countries start to open, then our customer said, "We we really like your online parties, and we travel from our laundry laundry room, so to speak." But. You got to take us somewhere. There's so many country already open. Why don't you take us? And we will come with you. Doesn't matter where. And so you know, we you you know, Bell. We have office in London. We have office in Auckland, and we have of course office in Sydney. So we start to do tours in New Zealand, and we start tours to Auckland. Oh, sorry, Scotland. Because it's completely open, and our customer did what exactly they said. They put their money where their mouth is. They said, "Yes, we are coming." So our Scotland tour and New Zealand tour doing very well. And then after that, say, "Where else?" So therefore, we start search very carefully to see where there's a history and a culture that we can uncover, and therefore we we start to do Portugal because Portugal. Oh, Bell, I love Portugal. You are right. In two thousand nineteen, Portugal was voted the world best destination by Lonely Planet. But it's only coincidence because we decided to do Portugal because we discovered that we actually uncovered that Portugal was. The one discovered Japan, India, and 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 China. If you can speak like Colombo discovered that as America, then Portuguese, their navigator, Henry the navigator, and all these and much else, they actually discovered these Asia countries. And then plus, then Portugal also did something wonderful. Is they when they go to the Asian country, they didn't conquer. They did business, and they had they are also missionary, and so therefore they brought the culture and the history and arts from Europe to Japan to India and to China, and that influenced that local Asian countries. But in turn, they brought all these arts and history and culture from Asian country to Europe, and they are really fit for the first greatest oceanic empire in the in in the world. So I feel passionate about it because I feel they deserve to be recognized and respected by even today's traveler for the contribution they did in the sixteen country of the whole world map. Anyway, you can say I can go on now. I love <laughs> Portugal, and this is why we choose Portugal. And for the same reason, then we choose Jordan. And for the same reason, we we also selected Egypt. There's always a hidden thing that we felt so important to share with our wonderful, wonderful customers. That's how we start to do all these countries. So of course, I'm so happy to say that. 
our customer here I embrace this country. They also embrace Azerbaijan, Armenia, and Georgia. All these one wine country, fine food, and and the, the yeah, warm hospitality. So really, I must say, at this moment, the Windy Tours community is having a great buzz with the return of travel. Yeah, we're doing so well, everybody. Yes, that's amazing. So you're really pulling these stories, these interconnections between countries on the opposite side of the world, and 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 guiding people to explore these incredible connections back hundreds of years, and you know sometimes even of course thousands of years. When you're uncovering hidden things, then so I'm going to go back to China because you know that is that is your heartland. Um, you know what are the most what what do you find are some of the really Truly unique experiences that that you uncover on some of your tours. When we actually, when the movie Avatar showed in the cinema, the whole world discovered how beautiful you know these uh, uh, Hallelujah rocks and the mountains, right? And our customer absolutely called us and say, "Oh, Wendy, you know that uh, now the whole world is uh, discovering this uh, sensational, stunning, and, and beautiful place." But we traveled with you there uh, ten years. Ago, when there's no foreigner <laughs> with no one, so they feel so proud, and we keep on doing that. And before then, we also did that uh, Nai Village Valley, which is Zhou Daigo in China, and then which is uh, filmed and featured in the film like uh, Hero and all these big kind of uh, masterpieces. So we often have our customer just telling us, "Oh, so good! I saw it in the film, and what we went with you so long ago." And then, for example, the Mount Everest camp that we are the first company ever to actually take Westerners into the China which is the most difficult um, uh, side of Mount Everest and uh, uh, most challenging part of the Mount Everest base camp we are the only and, and the first company to take our uh, customers to experience that that I had kind of adventures with us and this type of memory is just our customer love what happens they want to go with us because it's very safe and it's good quality and yet they also want to go somewhere is before all the crowds get there so they feel <laughs> proud and happy so that's what we do and that was then but now you know China is just so advanced so what happened now our customers are so happy they have experienced the bullet train possibly so ahead of everyone and now they are actually also experienced with us the glass kind of uh, uh, footpath thousand meters on top of the mountains and then they, they get to experience all these wonderful things and very very cold, uh, lift um, just uh, straight from the bottom to hundreds of meters high in the cliff of the mountains and all of these things right is really combined the ancient nation with the latest and the modern infrastructure which enhance the travel experience and I think that is the China wonderful experience and the plus our customer now when they go back to China I'm talking about now right that's why they are so excited when they are in China right now they said it's almost like going back in time it's like 20 or 30 years ago when hardly any foreigners are there so because Chinese people have not seen the foreign visitors for three years and more and now they 
see them. So they are so warm and so in, in, kind of a, very. They feel like that our tour members is like a celebrity again. They get to, oh, can we take a photo? Oh, and and they really felt you know in in pre-COVID in, in Beijing, Xi'an, Shanghai, it's millions of foreign visitors. So, oh, there's nothing special. But now they feel so special again. So that's the beauty and. Um, so that's really why, Belle. I want you. The most bizarre experience, as um, uh, personally, is this one, because um, I have a great team of uh, product people, and I have a fantastic kind of team of uh, national escort, that's tour manager and uh, guides, right? So therefore, normally I don't guide the group ever, but there was once that Australia senior. Um, on uh, that newspaper group, and went we uh, to China, and that was our first kind of newspaper group went to uh, China. So therefore, I was very keen because of this first newspaper group, um, and it was very popular. And we we have the customer service is each passenger will have one seat and half at least. So therefore, each group size for China, such a big country, is a maximum of twenty eight people. But the newspaper group filled in straight away, and the customer said, "No, no, no, we we must go, we must go." So therefore, the newspaper decided to have two groups together on the same day, right? Depart. So we have fifty six people, but two separate coach, two national escort, and two local guys and everything. So one, um, for the then I said, okay, for this special one, to show my support, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with groups. So that was the first time actually I traveled with a group. Then while I was in Beijing, I decided. The Summer Palace, and I love to guide one of the one of your groups. Which so please everybody, if you don't mind to rush around to do something more adventure, hiking, and off the beaten track, I will be able to find find some hidden places in the Summer Palace for you. I said, but I can only take one group, whereas our very experienced. Local guide will take another one. Okay, so everybody was.、Uh, I said the, the guidance is、uh, with me. It's going to be adventurous and will be、um, what's called a、uh, hiking and will be、um, what's called physically demanding. So therefore, only the very fit one come with me, and the rest go with the local guide. Anyway, we were able to separate the group. I took the adventure one with me, and here the bizarre experience comes. <laughs> I got lost, <laughs> <laughs> and、uh, because I took them to the、uh, hill in inside the summer palace, and the hill was so beautiful, and then I decided to go further and and further and further, and then I absolutely lost. How can we get back? Because the the coach is from one point and will meet us the, at the other point. I then. Cannot find. How do I get to the other point?、I、have to ask people around. As a result, we were half hour later than other passengers, the other group, and they have to wait for us because then what happened? Because the people are the fittest with me, right? So they were in different coach. There's two coach. So each. Of our group member went on the coach. Everybody just collapsed. It's a ha ha ha. You are late. <laughs> so that was very bizarre experience. But from that moment on, I decided I will never be a.
guide again, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I will leave this guiding to the, our superb experts team to do. But my habit of meeting up with my group, hearing them what they say, and it's always the habit. I will always meet our group when I'm at a destination. <laughs> okay, you heard it here first, folks. Don't, don't <laughs> think Wendy will take you up the, the back end of the summer palace. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Bill. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for opening or reopening the door uh, into um, the conversation for travel in China. It's been absolutely fascinating. Congratulations on your anniversary and we will include on your 25th anniversary and we'll include some of those suggestions that you've made in the trip notes which you can see on our website at theworldawaits.au. That was Wendy Wu of Wendy Wu Tours speaking about the return of tourism to China. You can learn more about her tours at wendywutours.com.au. Our tip this week is how to claim your COVID credits. Qantas has confirmed it will scrap the December 23 cutoff date for COVID flight refunds after it came under fire from senators at a parliamentary inquiry into the cost of living over its outstanding travel credits, which rank in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, amazing. Mm. So originally you had to cash in your credits by the 31st of December, but um, or otherwise you risk losing them. But uh, as Bell said, after pressure in the inquiry, that's now changed and Qantas will now let customers request a refund in Definitely. So you mean you don't have to use credit for a new flight, but you can actually get a, a cash refund? Yeah, well, look, ABC actually has a really good list of tips about this, and um, we'll go through a few of them and put the link in the show notes. But as a start, it's worth noting that it doesn't happen automatically, so you don't automatically just get those credits back again. Yeah, and a Qantas COVID credit refers to travel credits for bookings up to and including September the 30th, 2021, while a Jetstar COVID voucher refers to all the Jetstar Airways vouchers that have an expiry date of the 31st of December in 23. So I recently used my Jetstar credits from a cancelled flight to Townsville after it went into a lockdown the very weekend I was planning to visit. It was a really simple process actually um, to reuse those credits to pay for flights up to Darwin. But what about Qantas, Kirsty? So you can use Qantas's Find My Credit tool to uncover any credits you're owed and Jetstar's live chat. That's if you can get hold of anyone or, <laughs> you know, manage to get... <laughs> Good luck with uh, how long that might take. Um, but do make sure you have all the info in front of you because, um, you know, you'll need your booking reference number and, and any credit card numbers and maybe just, you know, make a giant pot of tea or something. Um, I actually had Air New Zealand credits and we um, had to book them, but um, also had to rebook. But um, I found it pretty easy, actually. The only problem was, of course, the flight prices can change. So mm. it may be that you go to rebook and then all of a sudden you're having to pay a whole lot more, than, yeah. um, you know. Um but the only, uh, we didn't have any major problems. The only um, fee we paid was because I, ch- I chose to change the flights again after they were rebooked due to giving, getting COVID, so not being able to travel. Oh, that's a tough one. But let's look on the bright side. It was a really tough few years, and at least now we can travel, right? Yep, if you can get through to those numbers. <laughs> Could not agree more. I'm having flashbacks to the two weeks I was stranded <laughs> in Dubai when Qantas uh, could not take us home due to COVID. This 
This week, I caught up with Marg Lehan, owner of the Great Bear Lodge, voted by National Geographic Adventure as one of the best adventure travel companies on earth. She talks about why Australians love British Columbia so much and what to do when you encounter a bear in the wild. Welcome to the show, Marg. Well, thank you. Um, so great to have you with us. So let's start by, tell us a bit about how you got into travel. Well, you know, I've, I've just always loved traveling and uh, I used to work in software development and I'd been doing that for 10 years. I was living in the States and I thought, I think I just need some more adventure in my life. So I decided to just step aside from my corporate career for a year and go have fun and have adventure. And that was over 20 years ago. So uh, I, I started working in uh, ecotourism and then just I love it so much I haven't stopped. Wow. So why, why um, the move to Canada and were, and did you, in your travels, did you just end up in Canada and just stay there? Yeah, well, you know, when I decided to have a year of adventure, someone said, oh, you should come up and visit me in Canada because it's really beautiful up here. So, um, so I moved up there and then right in the first year that I was here, I had an opportunity to go up to where we have our grizzly bear lodge. And, you know, we were in this little water taxi uh, going up a fjord. You see whales, you see bears and just these really steep cliffs, right, with these beautiful forests. And I thought, I'm in a National Geographic documentary. Entry. And it just like, I think at that moment, I fell in love with it and just thought, I just, I can't leave this place. Like Canada is really beautiful. So tell us about, so how did you get into, um, you know, a, a, an Australian from Melbourne buying a, 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 and um, running a lodge in British Columbia? <laughs> Well, luckily, I had two business partners that um, that started it, and then I came in. One of them's a bear biologist, and the other one was, you know, a salty local from the the coast who grew up in the inlets and had a water taxi up there. So then I just kind of came in and and did whatever you know they couldn't do basically. So we started as a tiny operation, just a day trip operation, taking people out to see bears. But I just felt like you were really missing like the essence of the experience which is you know you go out and see bears that's great they're best at dawn and dusk so it's good to stay out there instead of being on a day trip but it's just incredibly beautiful there and to me one of the most like precious things about being out there is sitting on the dock having a quiet moment cup of tea or glass of wine in hand and just letting it sink in and I just felt with day trips it was just too fast so yeah so we just grew it from this tiny business into you know a floating lodge and what it is today so for a lot of Australians, uh, because British Columbia is such a desirable destination and, and many would have, um, our listeners may have even been there, tell us um, exactly where you are. Yeah, so uh, the tours leave from Port Hardy, which is on the very north of end of Vancouver Island. And Vancouver Island is a 500 kilometre long island that runs basically from off the coast from Vancouver all the way up the coast. So it's a big island where, and then Port Hardy's at the northern tip. Guests get to Port Hardy, but there we take them by seaplane back over to the mainland um, to an inlet. There's no road access or anything. It's only fly-in or boat-in. So we fly them out there and we have a floating lodge there and they stay out there with, um, with us for three days. Wow, fantastic. It sounds like such an incredible experience. And, and are the main reasons they're coming there, I mean, clearly for the stunning scenery and, and uh, the spectacular experiences that they're getting it but in particular the bears 
Yeah, I mean, definitely it's bears that draw people in and people think, oh, I'll just go out there and, you know, especially Australians, they're like, oh, I'm going to Canada, I feel like I need to see a bear. I can go out there, I can I can check one off my list and call it good. But it's just, you know, they get out there and they realise, oh my gosh, it's so much more than that. Like really getting that sort of intimate experience with an ecosystem and, you know, learning all about it from our guides, but just even like sitting out in the boats or sitting on the platform and and just you know having nat- being completely surrounded by nature and just really being really attentive to all the little details you know what are the birds doing over there the salmon are really cool coming up the river like you know just the lichen blowing off the trees in the breeze like we just don't have that chance to just um, you know slow down and sort of feel the pulse of the rainforest if you will. And tell us a bit about the bears and, and, and what the situation is there, because obviously, sadly, um, around the world, you know, we're seeing the real need for uh, strong conservation efforts because of the fact that, that we're seeing wildlife numbers dwindling. What, what's happening there with the wildlife in, in your part of the world? Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, a lot of organisations who are really uh, doing a lot of great work on behalf of the bears. A major victory for us here in British Columbia was um, about five years ago, they closed bear hunting, like grizzly bear hunting. So that has been a huge thing for their conservation here. You know, the mentality has really switched from that sort of consumptive, you know, hunting mentality of 50 years ago. And now it's all about protecting them and viewing them. So, uh, so that's a really wonderful thing you know people are really on board with trying to protect the salmon here because it's such a valuable resource for the bears so even in the 20 years that I've been in BC I'm seeing a real shift towards that and their numbers are pretty stable in British Columbia because there's just so much uh, wilderness here so we're pretty lucky if we continue to work towards helping them. So what do you do in regards to the people that come to your properties, you know, to ensure that uh, obviously the interactions are, um, you know, are in line with with keeping to make sure that the bears are protected and not disturbed in their, their natural ways of life and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, as like the bears are our bread and butter, right? So there's, we're absolutely motivated to make sure that they're doing really well. Like, in fact, you know, our three key priorities is, you know, the the first thing is the, you know, the safety of um, guests and staff. But the second thing is the health and safety of bears. And for us, that's even more important than the guest experience. I mean, we're in a high um, value bear habitat in terms of we have great food sources there. So we don't want to do anything that makes them um, disappear from the valley. They're like, other humans are too pushy there. Like, I just think I'll go the next valley over. So we have really strict protocols around the bears have to approach us. We don't approach them. If, you know, our guides are really really well trained. So if they see any signs of stress, they know to back off. Um, And the biggest thing is we're really predictable. We go to the same places at the same time every day. So bears who are comfortable with that can come and live their lives around it. Bears who aren't comfortable with that can say, you know, I'm just going to go and have a nap for two hours because I know the humans will be at this viewing platform and then I'll come out when they're gone. So we're ensuring that all of the bears continue to get access to those food sources that they need. And are you seeing a shift in mentality of travellers coming that they're actually more conscious of uh, their interactions and, and wanting to really make sure that they tread lightly when they're coming there? Yeah, I mean, and I think just in general in the um, wildlife viewing, you know, industries all over the world, people are just much more conscious now about, you know, how is this, what's this experience like 
for the animals? Are they captive? Are they being, you know, is, is this a good quality of life for them? You know, I'm seeing it in elephant tourism, in, you know, killer whale watching, all that sort of stuff. So I think there's been a real shift in mentality, which is really great. Um, and I know that our guests really want to choose a company that they know is um, is upholding all of those best practices so that they can just relax and just know that they're not having a negative impact and in fact they're having a positive impact. So having lived there for two decades yourself as an Australian, what sort of things are you seeing and what changes have there been in the way um, travellers are having wildlife experiences there? Yeah, I mean, I think um, people are much more conscious of it now, and um, and I, th- I what I see is the all the wildlife watching industries in BC and in Canada are just much more professional now than they used to be in terms of you know the training that goes on, the best practices that are out there. Um, you know, these um, companies will get together and form industry associations to make sure you know they're working on conservation and on training and all sorts of good things. So I'm seeing a much more professional um, you know set of industries than were here when I first got here and I think that's really wonderful because it makes sure that every experience that's being offered to travelers is of really high quality and is working to protect the animals. Well, what are sort of some of the things that travelers can do when they come over to make sure that they um, are having genuine wildlife experiences and, and, what, and what are things people can do on a personal level to make sure that they're doing the right thing when they're interacting with particularly the bears in British Columbia? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would suggest to people that they um, just check that any company they want to book with is part of the industry association because I think all the, the folks who are part of that really do care about they're doing a high quality job. Um, but, you know, just on a personal level, I think, you know, you've really, like I always try to think about the animals as being, you know, they're like intelligent critters out there just trying to go around about their day. They're not just something that you want to get a photo of. So I always think about, you know, is that animal stressed? Like how how will it feel if I get out of my car and walk over to it and it's got a cub with it? So I always try to think about it from the animal's perspective and if I'm doing something that would stress them out or, or, or like get in their way of getting to where they want to go. Um, and I just think, you know, you've just got to really, you know, and then for bears in particular, you've just got to be very, um, I always let them know where I am. So they don't want to be surprised. And I certainly don't want to be surprised by a bear. So I, I can understand why it's vice versa. But you just let them know where you are. If you're, if you're hiking, you're calling. So they have advance notice that you're coming. They'll probably step off the trail and see you through, um, you know, and then step back on the trail. Once you're gone, you won't even know they're there. But uh, and the big thing too with bears is don't run. Like, you know, it might trigger their chase instinct. So if I see a bear, I stop. I you know take a deep deep breath so that I I'm calm and then you know I just assess the situation um and just see you know how can we get out of this and with both of us saving face you know but being calm is a big thing I think and what are some of the things that you really love about living there uh and and tell us a bit about what's your day-to-day life like like what's it like living living in that part of the world 
Well, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, the lodge is floating for starters. So, um, you know, my float house is uh, right, the windows are right on the water. So there's seals outside the window. You know, if I'm really lucky, there's whales out there. So, and eagles. So just um, having that wildlife there, like it's beautiful mountains all around. So it's pretty spectacular. Um, and you know, day to day, we when we have guests, you know, come in and they're there for the whole day, it's just just uh, like taking people out and seeing them have their first experience, like seeing a wild bear is pretty cool. So, you know, when I'm guiding, I'm out with them in the boat or on the platforms and, you know, I love it. I love seeing the bears, but just watching someone who is like, I can't believe that I'm this close to a wild animal that I thought, you know, everything I've heard about them is that they're going to come kill you as soon as they see you to just watch them, you know, like having a nap, you know, feeding their cubs, just quietly grazing on grass like to watch people experience that is so special yeah absolutely i'm sure it is um look i would love to chat with you all day about this incredible uh life that you've set up over there but um we're uh coming to the end so let's we end our um every interview on this question what's the most bizarre thing that's happened on your travels <laughs> oh boy, that's a big question. <laughs> um, well, one of the first experiences that pops to mind was I was trekking in Nepal um, with friends and uh, it was a pretty hard hike we did that day. We went up to the um, base of the Delagiri Ice Falls and uh, so hard and fast and we're on the way back. You know, thank goodness we're going downhill now. And uh, the sun came out, which was nice. And then we ran into um, some yak herders, like a you know community group of yak herders. And so they invited us. I mean, they couldn't speak English. Um, they invited us to sit down on their blankets, which we did. And, you know, they were so hospitable. We bought some like yak um, jerky from them. They offered us, you know, it's tradition for them at certain times of the year to drink yak blood. Like they don't kill the animal, they just get blood from it, from their necks. And they offered us that, I said no to that one. But then the funny thing was, is one of my friends who's always, you know, got his speaker handy and his electronic dance music, he, you know puts the speaker on and i was thinking well this is culturally inappropriate but next thing you know we're all up dancing like all the young adults from um you know all the nepalese you know they're all over on the blankets dancing and i'm like this is a truly surreal experience <laughs> <laughs> oh fantastic look it's so great to chat with you and thank you so much uh, for your time today and that was Kirsty in conversation with Marg Lehan, owner of the Great Bear Lodge. And now we know what to do if we encounter a bear in the wild. <laughs> and that's the end of the first season of The World Awaits. Thanks for staying with us to the end. Remember, we're off on holidays, we'll actually work, for the next couple of weeks. And in the meantime, you can listen to all our earlier episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or click the links on our website at theworldawaits.au. We'll see you back here on Thursday the 5th of October. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.